The second lesson, which is also the sermon text from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 3, verses 19 to 28. Now we know that whatever the law says is addressed to those who are under the law, so that every mouth will be silenced and the whole world will be subject to God's judgment. For this reason, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by works of the law, for through the law we become aware of sin. But now, completely apart from the law, a righteousness from God has been made known. The law and the prophets testify to it. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all and over all who believe. In fact, there is no difference, because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God publicly displayed as the atonement seat through faith in his blood. God did this to demonstrate his justice, since, in his divine restraint, he had left the sins that were committed earlier unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so that he would be both just and the one who justifies the person who has faith in Jesus. What happens to boasting then? It, is, it has been eliminated. By what principle? By the principle of works? No, but by the principle of faith. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith without the works of the law. The word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 500 is a very big round number, and people really like big round numbers. We have a married couple who celebrates their 42nd wedding anniversary, and people just let it go without really any mention. And yet, two years earlier, for their 40th anniversary, their family threw them a huge party where they pulled out all the stops. Now, logically, it seems like 42 is more than 40, so you should have a bigger party on the 42nd anniversary, but 40, it's a round number. And you have like a baseball slugger, hits uh, 48 home runs one year, and he hits 50 the next. He only hit 4% more home runs. It's really not that big of a deal in the total. But 50 is such a nice, neat, round number. That season is going to get remembered and celebrated much more than the one where he hit 48. It's just wired into our brains as human beings to remember and to celebrate big, round numbers. Well, five years ago was the 500th anniversary of the Lutheran Reformation. And 500 is a very big round number. So people started paying attention again to the history of the Reformation. There was a highly rated PBS documentary, and normally that is an oxymoron, right? Highly rated PBS documentary, unless it's Ken Burns. But the one on the Lutheran Reformation, millions of people watched it. The dozens of biographies that have been written about Martin Luther started selling again. Some of them got back onto bestseller lists. Luther mugs, socks, and beer steins, for goodness sake, were, were selling like hotcakes. And even people who believe that Martin Luther was a force for evil in the world, they started perking back up and making their arguments all over again. Why? Because 500. Well, that was 500. This is 500 
five. So with the understanding that the desire to hear lots of names and dates and places of the Reformation that has probably passed for you if it was ever there in the first place, but also understanding that the Lutheran Reformation still, if you understand what is at the bottom line of it, if you understand what is really at the heart of the Lutheran Reformation, it can still be a great benefit to your faith because at the heart of it, the Lutheran Reformation is not what a guy did in Europe 500 some years ago. It's not about a man. If it were, we would belong to a cult because cults are built on people who are just people. We are Christians. We follow Jesus Christ, who is a person. He took on human flesh to save us, but he is also the eternal Son of God. And at the heart of it, the Lutheran Reformation is really about Jesus and what he does, the work that he does to save us. So you're going to hear hardly any names or dates or places. And the ones you do here will only serve to tell a story that in the end is going to bring us back to Jesus, to God's love for us and everything that he has done for us in his son. So every kind of person has a phrase that really frightens them. For the lazy, unprepared student, it's pop quiz. For the mid-Atlantic motorist, it is work zone ahead. For a young monk named Martin Luther, the phrase that scared him to death was the righteousness of God. Because for his whole Christian life, from baptism up to young adulthood, Luther was always taught to understand that phrase, the righteousness of God, like this. The righteousness of God is the holiness that we owe to our Heavenly Father. The righteousness of God is the perfection that God demands us to send up to him. Because God himself is holy. He is perfectly righteous through all of eternity. And when God made us, the human beings, the crown of his creation, he made us holy too. He made us perfect. He made us in, in God's own image. And in his word, God makes it clear to us what he requires from our lives. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, you must be perfectly righteous just like your God. You have to be righteous toward him on every level all the time. And not only that, you also have to be completely righteous toward the other human beings that he made and put around you as your neighbors in this world. And to hammer home the demand for total righteousness, Scripture says this in multiple places, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And now you figure, here comes the part where I tell you that Luther was learning it all wrong because everyone knows the Reformation is all about how Catholics are always wrong and Lutherans are always right. But the truth is that what the Catholic Church taught Luther about that righteousness of God is absolutely 100% biblically accurate. God is perfectly righteous, and he does require total righteousness from the human beings that he made. And there was even more truth in what they taught Luther. They also taught him, because 
you have not been perfectly righteous. Because you have not sent up to God the perfection that he demands from you, you ought to be afraid of him. And you ought to be deadly afraid of where he is going to send you when you die. Because in the words of St. Paul right here in Romans chapter 3, in fact, there is no difference because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now the glory of God includes the glory of heaven. And St. Paul says all have sinned and fall short of that glory of eternal life in heaven. But Martin Luther was taught correctly that the righteousness of God is what we owe to God, the perfection we must send up to him. He was also taught correctly that because you haven't done that, you deserve to go to hell when you die. And you live in, in fear of God and fear of where he is going to send you when you meet your maker one day. Now, in his fear, really his terror of God, Luther tried harder and harder and harder to reach perfection, to achieve the righteousness that God required of him. The harder he tried to get there, the more his conscience plagued him, the more he was afraid of God, the more convinced he became that he was going to go to hell, or in the words of St. Paul, he was going to wind up short of the glory of God because of his sin. And you know, the truth is, this is all you know about the righteousness of God. And again, it's all true. But if all you know about the righteousness of God is that you owe him perfection, and you haven't been perfect, and based on that, you deserve to go to hell. If that's all you know about the righteousness of God, then terror is one legitimate option, right? You can live your whole life in fear of God and die trembling, expecting to go to hell. Your other option, if you don't want to do that, is to start getting proud and delusional. See, you can start redefining words. Say, well, when God says righteous and perfect, he can't really be serious, right? He doesn't really expect me to be perfect, to be right. He just expects me to be to be good enough, pretty good person. And you know, for the most part, when I'm not busy being a bad person, I am a pretty good person. So when I die, that should be good enough. So you can get proud and boastful. That's your other alternative. If that's all you know about the righteousness of God, you can have the terror of a young Luther, or you can have this delusional pride that thinks you're good enough on your own. But the problem is, either direction you lean, you still haven't given God the righteousness that he requires you have still sinned and fall short of his glory. Now, a couple years before he nailed the 95 Theses to a church door and started the Reformation, Luther earned his doctorate. So at his monastery, he went from being Brother Martin to Dr. Luther. He also, by that time, had developed into a genuine pain in the neck to the leadership of his monastery. For one thing, his conscience was just too sensitive he was always running back into the confessional to list off a couple more sins that he forgot to mention the last time. He was always back and forth, driving the priest crazy in the confessional. And on top of that, as you can imagine, he was kind of obsessive about keeping all the rules all the time. And people do tend to get tired of that pretty quick. So the leadership of his monastery decided to foist him. Now that he had a doctorate, they decided to ship him out and make him a professor. So they sent him to a tiny university in a very tiny town called Wittenberg, which was known much more for its stench and its drunkenness and its brawling than it was for this university. One of Luther's first assignments at this no-account university 
was to lecture on Paul's letter to the Romans. And as he was preparing for that lecture, and Luther got here to the second part of chapter 3, he found this phrase, the righteousness of God. But now he found the righteousness of God flowing in a different direction. It was still true, and it still is, that the righteousness of God is what we owe to him. And it was still true, and it still is today, that all have sinned and fall short of that glory of God. But now, Luther saw a second definition in the Bible, a saving definition for the righteousness of God. Paul writes, But now, completely apart from the law, a righteousness from God has been made known. The law and the prophets, that's the Old Testament, testify to it. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all and over all who believe. So the righteousness from God is not just holiness that he demands we send up to him. The righteousness of God also comes from him. He sends it down to us. And Paul says that this righteousness from God is apart from the works of the law. So this righteousness is not something we have to achieve by keeping laws and commandments. Instead, God sends it down to us as a gift. And Paul explains how. He says it comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all and over all who believe. Because we human beings have not and cannot supply God with the righteousness that he requires, he sends it down to us as a gift in his son, Jesus Christ. And Paul teaches that Jesus atones for the sins of the whole world. And also, everyone who believes in Jesus for righteousness receives it through faith. So, it turns out that there is a beautiful and blessed ending to that sentence that starts so scary. In fact, there is no difference because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's terrifying. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God publicly displayed as the atonement seat through faith in his blood. So what's this about an atonement seat and faith in blood? Well, earlier Paul claimed that the Old Testament, which he calls the Law and the Prophets, he says the Old Testament also testifies to this righteousness from God in Christ. And that is true. In many places, the Old Testament predicts and prophesies and promises the righteousness that is coming from God's Messiah. And one of the places that happened was on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement came once a year, and on that day, the high priest of Israel walked into a room in the temple that was called the Most Holy Place. Only the high priest was allowed to enter. And in the Most Holy Place, there was the Ark of the Covenant. The lid on the Ark of the Covenant was called the Atonement Seat. It's where God's righteousness and judgment rested. And the high priest took the blood of a sacrificed lamb and sprinkled it on the lid of the ark to atone for all of the sins that Israel had committed during the prior year. And that was a foreshadow, a preview of the Lamb of God who was coming to shed his blood to take away the sins of the whole world. Now what the high priest did there on the Day of Atonement, he did very privately. The most holy place was strictly off limits to regular folks and even to all of the regular priests. Only the high priest was to go in there. 
But when Jesus atoned for the sins of the world on Good Friday, Paul says God did this very publicly. He did it out in the open for the whole world to be able to see and believe. And that sacrifice on the cross atones for our sin. Atonement is bringing two people who are separated and alienated, bringing them back together in peace. And then Paul says, everyone who believes in that atoning blood of Jesus Christ receives justification from God. Justification is God declaring you righteous. It is God calling you holy through faith in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Paul writes, we are justified, called righteous by God as a gift through Jesus Christ. And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all and over all who believe. Now as Luther examined and studied these passages more closely, his eyes really started to open because this was the aspect of the righteousness of God that he had not been taught before. And that's where things started going off the rails spiritually in his life. When he was feeling guilty, when he was afraid that he was going to go to hell, nobody ever told him, Brother Martin, trust in Jesus. He is the righteousness from God that you need. Instead, he was always just told, try harder. Do what is in you. This was the truth that his heart desperately needed to see. And it would be another two years before he started the Reformation. And even then, his understanding of these things was pretty foggy, pretty murky for a while. But God was sending him on his way. And it started here, preparing for a lecture on Romans chapter 3. So then, what happens to that fear in the heart of a human being who understands this righteousness that comes from God as a gift? If you have fear of God in your heart, it's going to just scatter like a cockroach in the sunlight. Fear cannot survive the idea that our salvation depends on God and only on him, that it's Jesus' righteousness and not ours. Fear in a human heart cannot survive that. And neither can this proud, boasty idea that I can be righteous on my own, I can be good enough. Paul says that this truth is also the end of human boasting. What happens to boasting then? It has been eliminated. By what principle? By the principle of works? No. By the principle of faith. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith without works of the law. The justification, God calling you righteous through faith in Christ, that is also the end of our pride and the end of our boasting. This truth, the righteousness from God in Christ, this is not just the heartbeat of the Lutheran Reformation. This is the heartbeat of Christianity. This is not just what some monk in Germany needed to see 500 years ago. This is what every sinful human heart needs to see and understand from God's word. The righteousness of God is not just what he requires from us. It is what he gives to us in the work of his son, Jesus Christ, that we receive by faith. And this is why, even 505 years on, the Lutheran Reformation is still worth marking and celebrating. Because in the end, it is not about what a man did in Europe 500 years ago. It is about celebrating what God has done for us in his son. Today is the celebration of our loving and gracious God sending righteousness down to us, the atoning work of his son, Jesus Christ. Today, the celebration of the work of the Holy Spirit who gives us faith through which we are justified 
in the eyes of God. To God alone be the glory for his Son, Jesus Christ, and for the faith to cling to him, for the righteousness that we need. Amen.